0: Welcome to In The Queue, a podcast presented by Messick, Lauer & Smith. From QSOs to regulatory concerns and everything in between, we'll talk about relevant topics, trends, and information in the credit union industry and how they might affect your credit union or QSO. Today on the podcast, we're going to have Amanda Smith, a partner at Messick, Lauer & Smith, for a high level overview of questions that Amanda gets pertaining to the formation of charitable foundations. I thought it was a very insightful conversation uh, for any credit union that's looking to get into that space. Um, so, hope you all enjoy. Okay, great. So, today I have uh, Amanda Smith, partner at Messick Lauer and Smith. Uh, thank you so much for joining in the queue. How are you today, Amanda?
1: I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm well,
0: pretty good myself. It's um, By the time people hear this, it might not be the new year, but uh, for us right now, it is the new year, and we are here to talk about foundations. Uh, I know that this is an area that, Amanda, you do a lot of work at the firm, and we get a lot of questions from clients uh, about this particular area. So you had brought up the idea of going through some of the like a high level overview as to some of the common questions that you get from our clients. And, um, you know, we definitely wanted to get this type of content out there so it's accessible. So I guess just starting right from the beginning. Right. You have a client that that calls us and has questions about foundations. And um, I mean, where where do we even begin?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, charitable foundations are becoming more and more popular. We used to do them maybe one or two a year, if that. And now we're probably getting, gosh, maybe six, seven, eight a year. So Um, I would say for sure they're becoming more and more popular um, with credit unions. I think they're um, a natural progression for a lot of credit unions because of the charitable nature of credit unions it's a it's a good vehicle for them to place all of their charitable activities into um and and grow them so uh, you know we get clients that come to me all the time that just say okay we've heard about them we want to do them but we we don't really know we don't know where to start so really i start with explaining to them you know what they are. Um, so at its core, a charitable foundation is a corporation and it's not owned by the credit union. It may seem like it's owned by the credit union, but it's not. Um, it's, uh, it's a nonprofit corporation that's formed in really whatever state that, the credit union would like, but we typically choose the state in which the credit union is located. So okay. it's a nonprofit corporation. Now I say it's not a nonprofit corporation, but that does not mean that at that time that we form the corporation that it has tax exempt status. Those are two different things. Mm-hmm. So we go ahead and we form that corporation. And in order to do that, we're going to need a name, which in a lot of cases is really, really difficult. I mean, you know that from forming CUSOs, sometimes that will like stall the process for months. But um, some
0: some might say the most important aspect of forming any type of entity, right?
1: Right, right. <laughs> so some credit unions will take that as an opportunity to, you know, brand it in the credit union's name and keep it, you know, as a reflection of the credit union. Some Take it as an opportunity to make it a completely different entity where you don't really know that it's part of the credit union. And they'll just sort of spin it as a different entity that's founded by the credit union. So there's really two different takes on what to do with the name. So it does take a little bit of consideration in that regard. Um, And then, second to that, we need a board of directors of who's going to govern um, that that entity. So right. those are the two big things that we need to start um, to actually get that entity in place.
0: Yeah. And I think that you, you hit it right there on the head, right? Like th- this is even before the entity itself is formed, right? Like all these, um, you know, board formation, uh, who's on the board, uh, what the name is. I mean, obviously before you can even, uh, you know, have the foundation set up, you know all of these things need to be accounted for as i would imagine too like um you know like how the foundation is is you know capitalized like how how it intends to maintain you know its its actual status as a foundation can you talk about that for a bit too
1: yeah yeah so you're going to want to think about what activities that you're placing into the the foundation because in order to maintain that That tax exemption, you're going to have to have um, a charitable, educational. um, I I can't quite, the IRS has this very long phrase um, Mm -hmm. what it can. uh, considers to be a tax exempt purpose, but um, our our clients typically do something charitable. Um, financial education is something that they typically do, um, but those are the things that we we usually see, like scholarships, um, donating to other um, charities in the in the community, uh, things things of those need. Of that nature. So you have to figure out what you're going to do to maintain that tax exempt status. Because if you're not doing that, if you decide that you're going to, you know, go off and um, use it to, I don't know, be an attorney um, that's not for some charitable purpose, you know, you're going to lose that tax exempt status. Um, So you have to make sure that what you're doing is in line with what the IRS. Feels what is uh, a charitable purpose. Um, right. Yeah. So,
0: no, it makes sense. And I was going to say, too, you know, I was, um, you know, because obviously you do a lot of work in this area, and I, I think I helped you uh, previously, like it helped form some of these. Entities and, and one of the things that I always you know saw like for this application process, right? It talks about like um a public foundation versus like a private foundation, right? Um, can you describe like what that means and, and kind of what questions you might get from clients about those different statuses? Because I w- I would just think, hey, it's a foundation, right? Like it's 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 public, right?
1: Yeah, so that is part of the um the determination from the IRS. So that is what you get. Um, a little further along in the process when we filed a 1023 application with the IRS uh to get your um your uh tax exemption. And the IRS wants when you're filing that 1023, the IRS wants to know all all everything, everything you're doing. So it's a pretty a pretty um long application, but they review it and they come back and they tell you you're either a public charity or a private foundation. And a lot of the clients will ask me, well, which is better? And you can't really say which is better because you don't have a whole lot of control over what you're going to be. You're either going to be one or the other. And I say the private foundations I like to think of as being those, um, there's foundations that are formed by really rich families and old money, you know, the old money families. <laughs> okay, that the they Gates take, Foundation. Yeah, they take all their money and they put it into these foundations. And then it's like mom, dad, son, uncle, they're all on the board because it's all really closely held. Uh-huh. That's what I always think of as these Private foundations, because that's what it is. All the money is coming from sort of a single source. In our case, it's typically the credit union, and then the board is sort of set up at, in, and controlled by one central, you know, entity, family, something uh, along those lines. So if you have that, then you're likely going to be um, classified as a private foundation. Public charities on the other hand, receive a certain percentage of their income um, from multiple public sources. So there's all kinds of percentages involved, but think of it as, you know, you're getting numerous donations from um, numerous people instead of one large donation from one place. Um, And You know, the differences are a private foundation um, can't violate certain self-dealing rules and they have to distribute a certain percentage of their income annually. And it's a very small percentage. And most of our clients haven't had it well, none, to my knowledge, have had an issue with it. Um, otherwise, they could be subject to certain excise taxes or lose their tax-exempt status. So that's really the the main differences between the two.
0: Okay. And a lot of great information there. Um, Amanda, you touched on a few uh, items there in your answer that I definitely wanted to highlight. I think first and foremost, because um, I, I do want to talk about donations and, and how uh, the foundation deals with those from uh, members. But before we get there, I did want to highlight, you did talk about the board and structure. And if you are a private foundation, you know, potential self-dealing issues that um, that foundation and uh, and credit union boards, they they need to consider. Can you talk about that a little bit more in depth?
1: yeah I, most of our boards you well you just want to be careful that you're not um doing anything how can i put this so your your board members need to be cognizant that they're not making any decisions that are presenting a conflict of interest. So if they're, you know, sitting on a board for Habitat for Humanity in your community, that your um, foundation isn't considering making a donation to Habitat for Humanity. If they mm-hmm. are, your board member needs to excuse, you know, him or herself from that decision. because so that's obviously going to be, you know, a conflict of interest. Right. Um, and, you know, the charity, um, The foundation needs to be mindful of who it's giving money to so that it doesn't appear that it is benefiting its donors, if you understand what I'm saying. So it doesn't appear that the money is kind of, you know, that it doesn't seem like it's all interrelated. And um, it's really just benefiting the folks that are giving the money, even if it's indirectly. Right. Right.
0: No, that definitely makes sense. Um, I definitely want to touch on to this idea of the donations, um, you know, how they come, uh, you know, into the foundation, um, you know, how that relates with credit union members itself. um, You know, then ultimately, you know, uh, you know, field of membership issues that might arise with the foundation, too. So can you uh, can you go over those those items, too?
1: Sure. So, um, the foundation can seek donations from, from anywhere. It can be, um, credit union members. It can be the public. It can be businesses. Um, uh, most of our clients, uh, their foundations, as I said before, are, um, supported primarily by, um, large donations from the credit union, which is why, um, they're classified as private foundations instead of public charities. Um, but they also seek donations through things like golf, you know, golf outings and, you know, other sort of other activities that they, they hold. Um, so they can, they can raise money. However, you know, they see fit. Um, and then from a field of membership perspective, um, The foundation can be beneficial because you can add, you can take on members to the foundation. So when you draft your bylaws, you can draft them to add members um to the to the foundation when they pay dues and it can be annual dues or it can be a one-time you know lifetime dues if you will so once an individual pays that dues they become a member of the foundation now if you apply to the ncoa or your state regulator to add that um foundation to your field of membership as an associational common bond, um, or if they other uh, qualify another way, um, there are a few other ways that they may qualify, but associational common bond is the, the most common. Um, then once they're a member of the foundation, they then become eligible for membership in the credit union. And you can add them as a member in the credit union. Now, um, I know that credit unions like to streamline the membership process as much as possible uh, because you know it's something that credit unions have to do that banks don't have to do. So they like to make it as streamlined as possible. But uh, the individual needs to know that they're becoming a member of a a charitable organization or a foundation or whatever it may be they need to know uh so you can't kind of gloss over that point and then you know a couple months later they're getting collateral in the mail saying come to our golf outing Um, (laughs) you know they need to know because what if they don't support your cause what if they're adamantly against your cause you know that that could be something that really could backfire and cause a problem. So they, they need to know there are ways that you can, you can streamline it, but they do ultimately need to know that you are, um, that they are joining a foundation.
0: Okay. Yeah. That certainly makes sense. And is, is there anything to, I I know, um, you know, before we hit the record button here that we were kind of talking some other considerations in that area, and it seems to vary by state is that correct? Like with regards to how you disclose um, or, uh, you know, receive information about those members itself too?
1: Well, so the things that vary by state are um, the the different filings. So you'll okay. want to do, um, yeah, so the foundations have annual 990 filings with the IRS uh, that they have to do. And then- there's also um, state filings that depending on the state, you may have to do one time or you may have to do annually to be able to solicit um, funds in those states okay. or to be um, exempt from certain taxes in those states, similar to um, you know, credit unions, tax exemptions. Uh, but you may have to do uh fi- state filings as well in those states that you choose to solicit in. Um so that's something that they have to be aware of. Okay.
0: So there you go. That's that's what the uh, the solicitation aspect of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um
0: I have a name, right, most importantly for the yeah. foundation. <laughs> um I've worked on bylaws, I have my applications in order. Um, is there anything else, uh, you know, that you recommend for clients typically, you know, whether that's, um, you know, any sort of issues to be on the lookout for as they're forming foundations, any sort of documentations that could be, uh, best practices for foundations. Um, and then I guess at the end of the day, once you have a foundation set up, um, I guess most importantly, right. And you kind of touched on it through some of your answers, but like how to maintain that tax exempt status. Do you have any tips in that regard?
1: Yeah. So, well, there's one big thing to be aware of from a planning perspective is that uh, the 1023 application for the tax exemption is taking every bit of six months to be approved by the IRS. So from a planning perspective, don't expect to get your tax exemption overnight. You can, however, be up and running and doing business. However, your donations just will not be um, tax deductible to the donors at that time. But there is some retroactive um, tax deductibility. So if you file in January and you get a donation in February and you get approved in June, there's retroactive uh, tax deductibility for that February um, donation. But you do have to to manage that notification process of, you know, notifying individual donors. It gets a a, a little arduous if you're dealing with it for individual donors. But if we're talking about a one-time donation from a Credit union, it it you know you can cut you can get up and running without any any issues there, so right. you can start to do some business while you're waiting for that tax exemption. Um, and I would encourage it because again, going back to those field of membership issues, you want to get up and running for a good period of time before you even consider adding the foundation to your field of membership. It's just going to make that process a lot easier. Um, And again, you know, annually, you want to make sure you're doing your 990 filings Um, and to help make the process just go easier. And in general, just have a good idea of what what you want to do. and how you want to do it. Because like I said, the the IRS and that 1023 form, they they want a lot of detail. They want to know about your scholarship programs. They want to know the criteria uh, that you're using for your scholarship program. Um, If you're doing financial literacy, they want to know what kind of programs you're doing, how often you're doing them, what they're about. Um, They want to know details. So this is not, uh, hey, we're going to get our tax exemption and figure it all out later. No, you need to know everything that you're doing and then tell them about it now. Um, right. So you really have to have a good idea of what you're doing. So if if it's just a matter of transferring things from the credit union to the foundation, then that's easy. But if you're starting up something from scratch, that gets to be a little bit more challenging.
0: No, yeah, it certainly sounds like it, and um, I think we started this podcast uh, by just saying like, okay, I want to start a foundation. How do we? Uh, how do we do that? And um, sounds like a lot more preparation and uh, paperwork, and definitely goes into this process for sure.
1: It is. There is a lot of paperwork. And I think some of our clients are kind of taken back by that, how much paperwork and back and forth. And there are, um, you know, we put in place conflict of interest policies um, and Things like that, that the IRS likes to see, you know, we're, we're going back and forth with drafts of bylaws, um, you know, similar to the credit union's bylaws that just kind of go through the the governance of the organization. Um, it, it's very similar to to the governance of the the credit union, um, but they um, it's you know, it's all things that need to be put in place.
0: Right. For sure. Well, Amanda, I think that this was a great high level overview, um, even got into the weeds a little bit for some of these particular <laughs> aspects. So I really appreciate that. Um, for any specific questions uh, that clients might have, uh, how, how best can they reach
1: you at our firm? Yeah, you can call me anytime or um, email me. Um, either one is is always fine. Um, all that information is is on our website.
0: All right. Sounds great. So Amanda, thank you so much for your time and and thanks for being on In the Queue.
1: Yeah, not a problem. Anytime. Talk to you soon. Yep.
0: That's it for this episode of In the Queue. Thank you to Amanda Smith for her time today to go over uh, an overview of foundations and how you can set up these types of entities at your credit union make sure to subscribe to this podcast feed to receive the latest news and information in the world of credit unions and CUSOs. Again, I'm Mike Heller. Thank you so much for your time today. And until next time.